You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Today's teaching text is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. But by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. This is the word of the Lord. We believe it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, even in this This text you're revealing to us that you have created everything out of nothing. You are almighty. You are powerful. You uphold the universe in your hand. And yet you love us. You're you're big and grand and beyond all of us. And yet you are personal to us. And so, Father, on this morning, I ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Help us to be aware of your presence like your presence is everywhere, but we want to be aware of um, your manifest presence here in this room today. Um, Father, as I proclaim your words, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. So uh, recently at a wedding uh, here in this building, I made a mistake. I played a song and I admitted to the people that were around me that as a kid, I was a big fan of country music artist Shania Twain. I mean, who's, all, who's a Shania Twain fan in here, right? Amazing singer. The catchiest songs you've ever heard in your life. She's phenomenal. I loved her music. I Great memories as a kid in a truck. And we're just belting out, man, I feel like a woman. Like, it's... Just, her songs are just too catchy. And so the, I was a big fan of hers from like 9 to 11 years old. But then when I was 13, another country music artist had her big hit come out. And this album came out and I fell in love. Faith Hill's album Breathe came out and I became a huge Faith Hill fan. Now this album won, it was an eight-time platinum award winning album. And now you might think it's odd that two of my favorite artists as a kid, these weren't my only favorite artists, but two of my favorite artists as a kid were female country singers. But you see, for especially for Faith Hill, it lied beyond the music. I had a poster of Faith Hill in my, in my bedroom. And I had a dream that one day I would be able to marry Faith Hill. Now, granted, she's two years younger than my parents, so she was 19 years older than me. And at the time, she's apparently married to Tim McGraw. Like, I don't know why she chose Tim McGraw over me. But I had a dream that one day I would marry Faith Hill. Now this morning we're here, we're talking about faith. Not Faith Hill. I could talk about Faith Hill for a while, but not Faith Hill. We're here to talk about faith and how the the author of Hebrews goes through in this chapter 11. If you let your eyes scan over the pages, this is um, a very well-known chapter in Scripture. Some people call it the Faith Hall of Fame. He's listing person after person after person from the Old Testament and it, and showing how they had faith in their life. And so this makes us pause and ask a question before we even like super jump into their stories. Like what even is faith? To say that 
faith is a big part of this section is kind of an understatement because over the next chapter, he uses the word by faith 24 times. Like that is a guy who's just on a record that's just skipping over and over by faith, by faith, by faith. So we have to acknowledge that all of us in here have faith in something. Which is to say that we have trust in something or someone. You you have like small assumed faiths that you don't even think about. Like the fact that you all sat in those chairs and you have faith that that chair is going to hold you. This week I saw that at the, the community center there was a lady that remote started her car. She had faith that that car would start, it would turn on, the air conditioner would cool her car. She did not realize that her car would catch on fire and be a really cool story on KIT. But we have these these small assumed faiths. But we also have much larger objects of our faith. Now given that we're gathered here in a church, particularly on a holiday weekend, I assume that many of you would at least with your mouth acknowledge that your faith is in God. But I also assume that there's some of you who might not do that. I don't know why you're in the room, but like you're welcome here. But you might not say my faith is in God. Or possibly, this might be more common, you might say it with your mouth, but what's the evidence of your life, of what your faith is actually in? By the way you live your life, I want you to ask this question, what person or place or thing is the object of your faith today? As you consider how you spend your time and your talent and your treasure, what evidence for you, if someone's looking on the outside, looking in, what is the object of your faith and your trust? Is it the pursuit of riches? Is it some relationship that you think, if I have this relationship, then I'm going to be fulfilled? Is it having perfectly well-behaved children because of the way that people will approve of you? Or is it climbing the ladder at work to have some impressive house or car these are the kinds of questions that we have to consider today and really we have to consider every day and as things change in our life we have to consider all the time like by the evidence of my life what is the object of my faith and trust so this morning we're going to hit that now in chapter 11 what we find here is actually as you as you read through the the book of hebrews which we've said week after week is more like a sermon than a letter we find this chapter tucked between two calls for endurance. In chapter 10, the writer, he, you know, he's writing to these Christians who have been persecuted. They're tempted to go back and walk away from Christianity, go back to Judaism. So chapter 10 and the end of chapter 10, the beginning of chapter 12, he's giving them this call to endure. As you scan through chapter 11, you see that names, that even if you're not a Bible reader, you recognize. You recognize names like Abel. You know the story of Cain and Abel, Noah, Abraham, Moses. And he's pointing to these people and highlighting some aspect of their life as an example of endurance. Not some kind of like white knuckling, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps endurance. Yesterday I had the the honor of running a, a half marathon with two guys in my DNA. They hadn't been runners before. And over the past few months we've been training and running and we've done two half marathons recently and on this marathon dude i'm telling you yesterday the sun was beaming down on us so hard they had to grit and grind and endure it was about mile nine that they were both ready to quit they were ready to give up but we just had to keep pushing on that's 
that's not necessarily the kind of endurance that I think that he's calling them to. He's highlighting these men and women not as gritty people necessarily, but as people who acted in faith. And trust that God is who he says he is. Enduring love is what he's talking about. So what does it look like to live by faith? What does the author even mean when he's talking about faith? Is it, is it a strong conviction or a belief? Is it loyalty? Is it ascribing to some religious code? This morning, I want us to approach Hebrews 11 asking two primary questions. What is faith? What's the definition of faith? And what are the rewards of faith? So if your Bibles with you, open to chapter 11, verse 1. And you might look at verse 1 and say, okay, it literally starts with, now faith is, and gives us what faith is. So you're like, okay, preacher, how are you going to turn that into a 20-minute a portion of a sermon. Well, as I read up on this text, I found that there are multiple ways of interpreting from Greek to English two words in this sentence. That happens all the time, but a lot of times it doesn't have a, a great effect on the interpretation or what it means. But in this text, the two interpretations kind of imply different paths for what faith looks like. Now, I took Greek. I passed it. And then I forgot it. I know enough Greek that I can pronounce words that I see with about 70% accuracy. I know Greek about as well as I know Spanish, which is to say I can count to four. Like, I don't know Greek well. So I got to rely on these other people on what they say. But they do point out, I think I have a slide that's got three different translations of verse one. I guess we'll have to look at them individually. So three different versions of verse one. The NIV, which is what we read from the stage here, that says, faith is the confidence and what we hope for, the assurance about what we do not see. The next one is the ESV. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then the King James Version says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, you might see that there's some disagreement about these two words. The ESV and NIV actually even interchange two of them. Confidence, assurance, and conviction. These are the words that NIV and ESV use. And these all play to like our mental or our emotional capacities, our mental energy. Confidence, assurance, conviction. But the King James Version says substance and evidence. These are much more physical in nature. And so what is faith? Like when these two different translations kind of disagree, what is faith? So I want to walk through that in just a couple of negative statements. Uh, first of all, faith is not mindless. Some may believe that having faith in God is some mindless action. Like you're not allowed to engage your mind. You just gotta, I gotta have faith in God. I can't see him. I gotta have faith in God. Even Miriam Webster has one definition that says, faith is a firm belief in something for which there's no proof. That's not biblical faith. That's not what the Bible tells us faith is. Having faith in God is not the absence of thinking things through. The author is going to display for us in the lives of these people that faith is what you have when you have strong evidence. We see that Sarah, the wife of Abraham, she had faith in God to give her a baby because they had heard God's promise. And it says in verse 11 that Sarah considered him faithful who had promised. Considering is thinking. 
Later we see Abraham considered that God could raise Isaac from the dead. They are considering, they are thinking, they're rationalizing that this God who's been faithful to them in the past, this God who has the power to create the universe and uphold it by his hand, he has the ability to come through on a very big promise. Faith without any reason is stupidity. Now another Sarah took a leap of faith once on deciding where to go to college. So my wife, Sarah, when she's deciding where to go to college in her senior year of high school, she had an opportunity. She wanted an art degree. She had an opportunity to go to Memphis College of Art. It's awesome. Great. She visited Williams Baptist back in our day, college. Now it's a university. She visited Williams, and at that point, they didn't have an art program. And she took a leap in faith to go to Williams, who had no art program, to get an art degree. Does that sound like a good, reasonable thing or stupidity? If all you know is that, it might sound like stupidity. Why would you go to a college that has no art program if you want an art degree? Well, she had other information. It wasn't mindless. She had other information. This college had had an art program before. And they had a promise of bringing it back. So she still had to step out in faith. Because who knows, you can't trust man with everything. She still had to step out in faith. But it wasn't a faith without reason. It wasn't a faith without rationalizing. And ultimately, she went to Williams and she got her reward, which was marrying me. (laughs) Now, what about Christian faith? The reason we have faith as Christians is because we can look back with reason at the life, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. What evidence do we have for this historical event? Well, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. I'll put it on the state, on the, the screen. But in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's, he's writing to this church about the validity of the Christian claims about Jesus. And he says, For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance. This is the most important thing about our Christian faith. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep and died. Then he appeared to James, the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Now you can doubt witness testimony. We do it all the time. But Paul is writing to this church so that they have an outlet to go and verify and prove that what he is saying is true. So there's, there's witnesses. You can go and interview them. Even great skeptics of the Bible will most of them acknowledge, like, yes, there is definitive proof that there is this man named Jesus of Nazareth, and there's these claims that he lived and died and rose again, and there's not great claims against how that's not true. I just don't believe it. You can doubt eyewitness testimony. So I want you to ask, have you been doubting the reliability, the validity of the gospel? I remember uh, back at the end of my college days in 2008, uh, I went with a group to New Orleans. We got to witness this debate between Bart Ehrman, a great skeptic. He's a New Testament scholar. He knows the New Testament better than you do, I guarantee. A great New Testament scholar who is a skeptic of Christian faith. He doesn't believe in the reliability of the Bible. It was Bart Ehrman against, um, I wrote his name down so I didn't remember it, Daniel Wallace. 
And so they're debating the validity of the scriptures. The really fun thing was this happened right after Bart Ehrman appeared on the Colbert Report. And Stephen Colbert, who's this like crazy character of a person, especially on the Colbert Report, he like broke character because he's a devout Catholic. And like he started grilling Bart Ehrman. It was wonderful. If you've never watched that, you should go and watch that. But I remember after going to this, I was talking to this older gentleman and told him what we were doing. And this man was angry, probably a little bit afraid of the fact that my college would send a group of people to to listen to a man who does not believe in the validity of this word. He's afraid, and that's coming out as rage, that we would ever consider that this is not reliable, that this is not true. But you know who's not afraid of your doubts? Our Father in heaven, the God of this Bible. The big question you have to to realize is, if you have ever doubted the Scripture, have you ever doubted your doubts? Have you ever actually, instead of doubting this book, doubted your misbeliefs about it? Have you ever looked at the Scriptures and gone with an assumption that maybe this is true? Tim Keller has a great book called Reason for God, and it like a a two-sentence summary is, basically, if there is no God, then everything in our life is simply just a chemical reaction to one another. There is no such thing as love. There's no such thing as evil. Do you want to live in a world where that's not reality? I feel like you believe love is real. And so if you've doubted the Scriptures, doubt your doubts. Be skeptical of your skepticism. Engage your mind. Explore your doubts. If you seek after the God of this Bible, He can be found. So second, faith is not mindless, but as we saw from the difference of uh, opinions on how to interpret verse 1, the KJV will show us that faith is not just a mindset. It's not just up here. Every person I read who does not typically run to the King James Version first, Every person I read talks about how this physical definition of faith is much more accurate to the original uh, writing of this, this letter. We often think of faith as just some passive thought or trust, but while faith begins in our minds, it does begin there, it ends with results and commitment and radical action often. Uh, when my friends and I were running this half marathon this weekend, we're hot. We're sweaty. We're in dire need of water. Uh, it's a great run in Memphis in May. Every single mile had a water station, which was great for us because it was, it was pretty warm. As I'm running up to a water station and I'm thirsty, as thirsty as can be, I can have all the faith in the world that that cup of water is going to have nice, cool, refreshing water in it. But if I don't reach out and grab that cup of water, if I don't put that cup of water to my lips and drink that water, that faith is of no use to me. My faith has to have an action to be put into play to have any benefit to my soul. Faith is not just a mindset. So let your eyes look over Hebrews 11 and and look for some steps of faith that these people took. I'm going to run through pretty quickly. Uh, I'm not going to hit everything, but by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. 
By faith, Noah obeyed and built a boat in the middle of nowhere. By faith, Abraham left his home. By faith, Jacob went back to a brother whom he had betrayed. By faith, Joseph toiled in slavery and prison. By faith, Moses abandoned the riches of Egypt. By faith, the people walked through the Red Sea. By faith, the people walked around the city of Jericho until the walls came tumbling down. Faith cannot stop at a mental exercise. You cannot simply ascribe to God some theoretical faith in Him and live as though it has no implications for your life. Faith is an action. Now, if you look at this list and say, okay, those great heroes of faith, how could I possibly measure up to them? Some call this the Faith Hall of Fame. Let me remind you, though, that by many standards, you could also call them the Faith Hall of Failure, too. You see, Noah got drunk right after leaving the ark. Abram lied over and over about himself. Jacob is literally known as the deceiver. Moses killed a man in Egypt, and then his sin prevented him from entering the promised land. The people of Israel were like a bad soap opera, just constantly turning their affections around and around and around, only turning to God when they were in desperate need. This is where I want to remind you that faith is an act of trust. Not simply that you can attain some sort of perfection, not that you're going to be some great hero of the faith, but faith is turning back to God time and time again when something is trying to pull you away. The single biggest step of faith is the acknowledgement that I don't have what it takes, that I need God's gift of forgiveness and restoration. I cannot earn it. I can only receive it. Faith is an act of putting your hands out and receiving His grace for your life. So faith is not mindless and it's not just a mindset. So what is it? Sam Storms, who was here for our Holy Spirit conference uh, a couple months ago, says, faith is our reliance on God to do what He says He will do, even when our present circumstances suggest otherwise. And John Piper Excuse me. John Piper says, faith doesn't create what we hope for. That would be a mere mind game. Faith is the spiritual apprehending or perceiving or tasting or sensing of the beauty and sweetness and preciousness and goodness of what God promises, especially his own fellowship and the enjoyment of his own presence. Faith is communing with God, speaking with God, loving God. Faith is spiritually seeing God's powerful, creative presence in the things that He's made. Faith is tangible. It's substance. It's evidence. It's moving us to action. John Piper's quote reminded me uh, when he's talking about tasting and sensing the beauty of God. Reminds me a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jared, Josh Agee, and I went to Oinky's Barbecue. We're doing this podcast thing where we're interviewing owners of restaurants about their food and stuff like that. And uh, we got to meet the Oinky's owner and she talked about how like, even like Bill Clinton had her barbecue shipped to the White House when he was there. That's pretty awesome. Their food's amazing. But we got to meet them. And, but as you're walking up to Oinkies, as any good barbecue restaurant is, I could taste, I could smell that barbecue from 100 yards away. But again, like that cup of water, if I don't go into Oinkies and get the barbecue and taste the barbecue, that smell is not good. But the writer of Hebrews kind of likens our faith right now to being on the outside of a barbecue restaurant. 
we're getting a taste of what the presence of God is like. We're getting a taste of what heaven is like. When we have faith and it works out in his actions right now, we put our trust in him and rely on him and not relying on our own strength. When we do that, we're getting a taste of what it's like to be in the presence of God. And one day, we will experience the fullness of his presence. We'll step into Oinkies and have that wonderful chopped uh, Boston butt, and we'll be able to eat that barbecue. We'll be able to be in the full presence of God, and it will be more overwhelming than you can possibly imagine. When you experience a, a relationship of faith and trust with God in this life, you're getting a, full, a foretaste of the full menu that's to come. So, with the time remaining, I want us to quickly run through what the, 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 the writer of Hebrews tells us are the rewards of faith. So if you look with me at, at, at verse 6, he says this, he says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So first I want you to see that A, God rewards those who earnestly seeks them. And we're going to be talking about what is that reward. I also want you to see that without faith, it is impossible for you to please God. You cannot clean yourself up enough to please God. You cannot obey a set of rules enough to please God. You cannot give enough money to the church or serve in the church to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But that means that the inverse is true. That with faith, it is possible to please God. Why does your faith change that? Why does your faith allow you to be pleasing to God? Because faith is looking away from yourself and looking to a Savior. Faith is self-denial and God declaring that all of your hope and confidence is in Him alone. External conformity to a law does not please God. But an internal love and devotion to Him which certainly affects your external actions, can please Him. You don't need to work harder. You need to love Jesus. Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God because of his faith. Now, what's fun, Genesis actually doesn't tell us that. And I've always often been perplexed as I would read the Genesis account of Cain and Abel, and it's like God found his uh, sacrifice acceptable, but not Cain's. And then Cain flips out and murders him. Uh, there's a few different explanations for why this is, but Hebrews gives us this simple explanation of, because he, give, he gave it by faith. He, he denied himself and declared that God is the king of the universe. He did it in faith. You need to know also that while you can please God by faith, that does not guarantee that you're going to avoid suffering. Because like I said, Abel... His sacrifice was found acceptable by God by faith. And the very next story is him being murdered. So just because you have faith in God does not mean that you are going to have the absence of suffering and struggle. And in fact, because of our allegiance to God, because of our allegiance to Jesus, you may in fact experience more suffering. If you're waiting for your life to get easy before you have faith, know that that day may never come. If you don't have faith right now and your life is easy, how could you imagine having faith later when life gets hard? Because it will. Eugene Peterson tells us this. He says, the only opportunity you will ever have to live by faith 
is in the circumstances that you are provided this very day. This house that you live in, this family you find yourself in, this job that you've been given, the weather conditions that prevail at the moment. So ask yourself, how could I live by faith today, even if I'm suffering? Abel was not saved from the suffering of the world around him, but that did not stop the faithfulness of God. God is still faithful even though he suffered. The story immediately after Abel is this mysterious person, Enoch, who walked with God and then it basically just says, and then he wasn't. God took him up into heaven. He never saw death. And that is what we're having our faith in, a God who has power over death. Why he's chosen to only do that one time, I don't know. But we have faith in a God who's, de- who's demonstrated his power over death in the resurrection of Jesus as well. So we can please God, but is there more? Look with me in chapter 11. We're going to hit verse 10 and see that our reward is a city built by God. It says, Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He's going out to the promised land, but what he's looking for is a city built by God, not that piece of land. Verse 13, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that they were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. Now, if they'd been looking of the country that they had left, They would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And in verse 26, Moses regarded the disgrace, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. Abraham left a country by faith in pursuit of a new city or a new country. And it's evident that the author believes that it's, it's not the promised land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. He was looking forward to an eternal heavenly city. As he says in verse 28 of chapter 12, he's looking forward to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. As Revelation 21 tells us, a city that's so magnificent, its, its streets are gold, its walls are jewels. And it says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. God's presence, all day, every day, for eternity, that is the reward of faith. That heavenly city is the reward of faith. The writer of Hebrews wants you to see that throughout the lives of these great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, it was always this way. Abraham did not earn his righteousness, but it was given to him because of his faith, his trust, his love of God. And so today, what is your faith in? What is the evidence of where your faith lies? And what is the reward for the pursuit of your object of your faith? Is it enough to satisfy you forever? You see, if, we're, if you're here and you're wondering, how can I have faith in this invisible God of the Bible? I want you to hear Paul's words from Romans 10. It says that faith 
comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. In Jeremiah 29, he says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks the door will be opened. What is it that you're seeking after? Ultimately, it's the Father God who created us as sons and daughters in His image, but we have betrayed Him, seeking to be the lords, the kings, and queens of our own lives. It's it's a providing God that we're seeking, who has made a way for us to be reconciled back to Him through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, His Son, part of the triune Godhead. And 2 Corinthians tells us that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. He is the fulfillment of everything that you hope for. He is everything you hope for. And some of you may know this, but others may not, but I, I've wanted to be a part of this church for many, many years. I first learned about Fellowship Paragold back in 2012. Uh, Adam Breckenridge and I were both on staff at a church in Kansas City, and he was showing me their website. On, on visits back to Arkansas, we would visit our family's churches, but we would also want to come and visit the crossing even back when it was in the, in the cinema. Now, I had developed this unrealistic fantasy, um, not as big of a fantasy as Faith Hill marrying me, but a fantasy nonetheless, that as I would leave after visiting, having never spoken to Jared a day in my life, that Jared would offer me a job to come and be a part of this church. Pretty unrealistic. But in 2016, Adam came back to Paragold. And then in 2017, they reached out to me. And I interviewed with Jared and Adam about a job opportunity here at the church. And ultimately, they offered me that job. This was my dream. I was looking forward to moving back to Northeast Arkansas the entire time we moved to Kansas City. We just also fell in love with Kansas City, too. This was my dream. Not just to move back to Northeast Arkansas, but to move back for this church. And so I got this job offer in 2017. And you might be sitting there thinking, if you've been here since then, that was the longest move of all time because you didn't move here for four more years. But I prayed. We prayed about this opportunity. And as we prayed, we felt like God was saying no. Or at least not yet. In my fear, I wanted to say yes, even though God said no, because what if I was throwing away my only opportunity to ever move back to Paragold? Instead, I looked back over my life and trusted that if, if God had worked out the events of my life up to that point and been faithful all the days of my life up to that point, if he wants me to be back in Paragold, he'll be faithful to bring me back again someday. By faith, I said, not yet. By faith, I waited. And I continued serving where I was, loving the people where I was and being developed where I was. By faith, I trusted that if God wanted me to be a part of this church, he would make it happen someday. And so when the opportunity came up again in 2021, by faith we said yes, even though leaving Kansas City was very hard for us. By faith, we've become a part of this church. We've dove into MCs. We've dove into DNAs. And so what does your by faith look like? Christian in the room, can you identify an area of your life where your behavior, your obedience to God makes no earthly sense? 
Can you identify an area of your life where you can demonstrate your faith in God through your radical actions, even if that radical action is waiting? Maybe there's someone you need to forgive, even for like tragically painful suffering. By faith, you can obey Jesus' command to forgive because you have been forgiven. Maybe you have a, a tight grip on your finances. Look into them to satisfy you or maybe protect you. By faith, you may obey Jesus when he says that you cannot serve two masters. And he calls us to be a benevolent giving people. Not just in a tithe to the church, but to the world around us. Maybe your spouse is resistant to your faith in Jesus. By faith, you may believe that no person is without hope or redemption. If he saved me, what will prevent him from saving my spouse? Maybe you're stuck in a job that you hate and is unfulfilling. By faith, you may trust that God has you where he has you for a reason. And maybe one day he will move you back. Like the people listed in Hebrews 11, as they looked ahead to a promised king, we look back to our King Jesus. As as our band comes back on the stage, I want us to just run through what it is we're looking to by faith. So by faith, we look back at a day when Jesus came and we hear angels say, good news. By faith, we believe that he declared the kingdom of God and brought it near here and now. By faith, we look at him on the cross and see him bearing the penalty for our sins. But by faith, we also look into the empty tomb on Easter and see that he has risen. By faith, we receive his words that one day he's coming again to restore all things. By faith, we look forward to the day when we will enter that unshakable kingdom whose builder, founder, and very foundation is God himself. By faith, we see him who is unseen. By faith, we believe that God is who he says he is. By faith, we believe that he works all things for the good of those who love him. By faith, we proclaim this good news in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. By faith, we look forward to the city where there will be no more pain, where suffering will be no more. Guilt and shame, loneliness and sadness will be eradicated because we are in the presence of a pure and holy God. By faith, you can believe this message today. By faith, you can forgive that person today. By faith, you can be uncrippled by fear today. By faith, you can trust God with your health today. By faith, you can confess that sin today. By faith, you can love Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, um, we need you. We need you to be big in our eyes. We need the people around us who we fear, who we look to for satisfaction. We need ourselves to be smaller and for you to be bigger so that by faith we can live out the realities of the gospel. We need faith to feel forgiven. We need faith to be a forgiving people. We need faith to be a benevolent people. And so, God, by the power of your Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday, would you pour out your Spirit and give us the faith that we need to finally be the people you've made us to be, satisfied by nothing but you alone. And then, 
all the things of this earth, all the people in our life, all the pleasures of earth can have their rightful place in our life. And we can enjoy them for what they are, not for what we make them when we make them an ultimate thing. We need you to do that for us because our sinful flesh is constantly pulling us away from you. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.